What goes down must come up. Kelvin and Hobbs. Kelvin's just looking at his plate full of food. Just, blech, just nasty pile of slush. As my cooked up for him. And all of a sudden the pile just starts crawling away. Goes across the table, grabs his glass of milk. Kelvin's yelling, hey, no, don't. And uh, Sludge tosses the glass of milk in Kelvin's face. Kelvin's coughing, sputtering, spitting. The big blob of goo jumps in the air and just splashes all over Kelvin's face. And he's coughing, spitting, patooing, <laughs> yelling, yeah, I'll get you. And then all of a sudden his mom walks in and the kitchen's destroyed. Everything's all over him. He just looks at her with a little giggle. And then you see him walking over to the phone. Grabs the phone with a big lava stuff on his head and says, Hello, local Navy recruitment office? Yes, this is an emergency. <laughs> He's in trouble. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 204 of Under the Cull of MS, a basket full of MS episode. We're just going to do a variety of little MS goodies for you coming up right after this. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's look in the CIS today, Clinically Isolated Syndrome. Basically, Clinically Isolated Syndrome, CIS, is an episode of neurological symptoms that last at least 24 hours, can't be associated with fever, infection, or other illnesses. CIS involves demyelination in your central nervous system. That means you've lost some myelin, the coating that protects your nerve cells. And CIS, by its very name, indicates that you've had an isolated incident. It doesn't mean you should expect more or that you'll definitely develop multiple sclerosis, MS. However, CIS is sometimes the first clinical episode of MS and is often categorized as a type of MS. This is the one that you will see if you even hear or see it before relapsing remitting MS. And then that is followed by secondary progressive and then MS and then progressive multiple sclerosis. So, but this one is one that we've been hearing more about lately. And I believe a lot of people that we hear talking symptoms, stuff like that, they are in this position and they may may or may not ever even develop neurosis. They start showing things that relate to our symptoms. The big difference between CIS and MS is that CIS is a single episode while MS involves multiple episodes or flare-ups. CIS, you don't know if it'll ever happen again, which you don't know if anything's ever going to happen again. You don't know if you're going to walk out your door and all of a sudden a turd from a plane is going to land on your head. You don't know. <laughs> MS is a lifelong disease without a cure, so it can be managed. Uh, some conditions and symptoms associated with CIS include optic neuritis. Where your optic nerve is damaged, and this can cause poor vision, blind spots, double vision. You might also experience eye pain with it. Transverse myelitis, whereas symptoms can include muscle weakness, numbness, and tingling, or bladder and bowel issues. Uh, the Hermes sign, also known as the bar barber chair phenomenon. This sensation is caused by a lesion on the upper part of your spinal cord. Basically, an electric shock-like feeling goes from the back of your neck to your spinal column. And this may happen when you bend your neck downward. When it happens to me, 
which it, I can make it activate it almost every day of my life. But uh, I've called it, and it's at times painful, and at times it's just very electrical and numbing type vibrating type feeling sometimes the way i explain it is like a electrical orgasm from the top of your neck all the way to your toes and it can be at all kinds of different levels depending on what kind of day you're you're dealing with and stuff like that i just weird at times that it's so more it's way more zappy and charging and stinging. It's just weird how the different levels of it that I feel from it. CIS can uh, cause difficulties with balance and coordination, dizziness and shakiness, muscle stiffness or spasticity, sexual function or walking. Both CIS and MS involve damage to the myelin sheath, and inflammation causes lesions to form, which interrupts signals between your brain and the rest of your body. Symptoms depend on the location of the lesions. They can range from barely detectable to disabling. It's hard to distinguish CIS from MS based on symptoms alone. Uh, but basically, the difference between the two conditions may be detectable through an MRI. So uh, speak with your neurologist, your PCP, and they will probably refer you to have a MRI done and more than likely one with contrast of the brain and spine. So they can check out both areas decent. Uh, CIS is the result of inflammation and damage to myelin. This can occur anywhere in the central nervous system. It's not exactly clear why this happens. Some risk factors that have been identified include age, although you can develop CIS at any age. Most of the people diagnosed with it are adults between the ages of 20 and 40. Uh, gender, CIS is two to three times more common. Let's see what this telemarketer wants. Hello. You're live on the podcast. Come on, telemarketer. What would you like? Yeah, you're a good telemarketer, aren't you? What terrorist organization are you with, did you say, Nicole? <laughs> I hate these people. Call me about debt consolidation. I don't have no more freaking debt. I'm finally caught up. Damn it. Uh, gender, the causes of CIS we were talking about. Gender, CIS is two to three times more common in women than men. Ha <laughs> ha. Nah, just kidding. I don't agree with any of these statements about gender and ethnicity and all that. It's like 10 years ago, it was totally opposite. Now it's this. It just keeps, keeps flip-flopping. Who cares who gets what? Just take care of the shit, fix the shit, find out why we have it, and find a way to get rid of it. All right. But yeah, it's supposedly more common in women than men. The CIS episode in the past puts you at an increased risk of developing MS. So if you have more than one, that is not a good sign. Uh, if you it's diagnosed basically by, if you have any symptoms, your primary care physician will probably refer you to a neurologist, usually any type of, if you mention anything with numbness, uh, balance and coordination, eye issues, stuff like that, reflexes, uh, different body little weird sensations and stuff they'll usually send you to a neurologist and then they'll decide or her, she will decide whether or not you need to get an mri spinal tap or whatever uh some diagnosis best help find the cause of your symptoms and tests like that would be blood tests 
the, the MRI, which we've been talking about, uh, a lumbar puncture, which I just mentioned with the spinal tap, which I'm just definitely, just definitely don't want to ever have to get one. Thankfully, I've been in a state with doctors that don't push that. A lot of them are, I hear a lot of certain states, I'm not going to say no names, but certain states like push for those things. It's, uh, I don't think you need it. MRI is good enough. Evoked potentials measure how your brain responds to sight, sound, or touch, according to a study back in 2013 30% of people with CIS had abnormal results to visual evoked potentials that still doesn't make sense in my brain conditions that uh, before diagnosed CIS before a diagnosis of CIS can be made uh, other possible diagnoses must be excluded and they are things like the autoimmune diseases like MS and stuff, the genetic diseases, infections, inflammatory disorders, metabolic disorders, neoplasms, which are abnormal growths of tissues, vascular disease, and basically like everything that you get. That's why we it takes so long to get diagnosed for a lot of things. They put us through so many other things before they get to where they need to be. And yeah. It doesn't pay to spend the money to jump way ahead and get anywhere. But are you really saving money and time by sitting there taking all these other tests and then finally getting to the test the person wants or thinks they should have? And then you actually see results. How hard is it to throw someone in an MRI once every five years, ten years? Check out your whole central nervous system and make sure everything's good it's a major key to the rest of your body i used to think the heart and brain were the most vital organs in our body and uh, central nervous system controls all that shit too so okay how does how often does it progress to ms cis doesn't necessarily progress to ms so you can't take that into consideration it may forever remain an isolated event, one-time occurrence, or whatever. According to the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, if your MRI detected MS-like brain lesions, there's a higher chance that you'll have another flare-up and an MS diagnosis within several years. If an the MRI didn't find MS-like brain lesions, the chance of developing MS within several years is real low. According to a report in 2018 on the natural course of CIS, 48.1% uh, of people transition with CIS transition to relapse and remitting multiple sclerosis within 10 years. 44.7% uh, of people transition to relapse and remitting multiple sclerosis within 20 years. 14.9% of people transition to secondary progressive multiple sclerosis within 10 years of their initial episode. And 38.8% of people transition to secondary progressive MS within 20 years. Repeat flare-ups of disease activity is characteristic of MS. That if you have a second episode, your doctor will likely want another MRI so they can see if any lesions grew, multiplied, or whatever. But basically, a mild case of CIS may clear up on its own within a few weeks. It may resolve before you ever get to a diagnosis even. For serious symptoms such as optic neuritis, your doctor might prescribe high-dose steroid treatment. They're given by an infusion, but in some cases can be taken orally. I know lots of people that just went on oral steroids recently and stuff in from my groups because of issues. But I'm staying away from them as long as I can because I know the long-term side effects, and I just prefer to... I can suffer. I've been suffering my whole life. 
I'm used to the same old pains. I just want some new pains anyways. So <laughs> give me a new pain to feel so I can actually feel something different. I don't care. It's my body lately is just got me in those modes where I just I want to get back in a boxing ring. I need to be punched in the head a few dozen times. I need to be kicked. I need to be eaten in different ways to make my body feel some new pains. Yeah. There are a number of disease modifying drugs used to treat MS. They got quite a few of them nowadays. Uh, I think we're up in the 20s now. They're designed to reduce the frequency and severity of flare-ups in people with CIS. These medications can be used in the hope of delaying the onset of MS. If you want to get on something like that with all those side effects and see if it'll help give you anything that you're not going to see anyways because you have no idea when your next flare-up's going to be 10, 15, 20, maybe never years. But there's things like dimethyl fumarate, which is tecfidera, diroximal fumarate, which is bumerity, you fingolimod, which is gelinia, Vatimer acetate, which I first started on, Copaxone and Glatopa. Interferon beta 1A, which is Abenix and Rebif. Interferon beta 1B, which is Potassium and Xavia. Monomethyl fumarate, which is Bifuritam. Yeah, I've never heard of that name before. That's a new one. I'm going to have to look into that one. Natilla. Natilizumab, which is tisabri. Uh Ocrelizumab, which I'm on now. Well, I wish I was on now. I'm waiting for my next interview. <laughs> is Ocrevis. Ophatamamab, which is Kasimtha. Ozanamab, mod, which is Zaposia. Or Zaposia. Beginterferon, beta-1A, which is Pledgedry. Saponamide, which is mazonet, teraflunamide, which is albagio. Uh, um, other ones I can think of is ma- mavenclad is out there, which is pill form. I can't think of any other ones offhand. Ah, it sounds like it's, there's a huge downpour going on or something. All right. But, yeah, ask your neurologist about the potential benefits and risk, research stuff, see what you can do. Uh, with CIS, there's no way to know for sure if you'll eventually develop MS. You may never have another episode or you may have it down the line. You never know. But, you can take other steps instead of taking medications and stuff and jumping into something like that, looking to anti-inflammatory foods and things like that. Check out some of my podcasts talking about some better, healthier food style. Ways to help keep the inflammation down and maybe allow your uh, myelin to hopefully not be damaged enough that it can actually repair itself. MS affects everyone differently. It's impossible to predict one person's long-term outlook. So, just do what you can and keep the monster in check. And we will get back to you with more information in the near future. Time for another MS health segment. Let's look at Pilates today. Movement's good for everyone. Regularly doing aerobic and strength training exercises can help reduce the risk of chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes, obesity, some types of cancer, and heart disease. It also helps strengthen your bones and muscles, of course. Pilates is a type of activity that that's especially helpful for people who have been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, MS. The program's focus on stability and core muscle strength is good for improving your balance and your movement. Bodies can also help reduce fatigue, 
which is very common in MS. How can it help with MS symptoms, you wonder? Well, Pilates has a number of benefits for MS, like strengthening the muscles that support the joints, improving balance, strength, stability, and flexibility, increase awareness of body position, improve walking distance, enhance your overall well-being and quality of life, Reduce pain and fatigue. Unless you overwork it, then you're going to have all kinds of pain. Lower the risk of falling. Improve your memory and other cognitive symptoms. Basically, like common sense and exercise and healthy eating is going to make you feel better one way or another. Some gyms that have Pilates classes may sometimes use a machine called a reformer. It looks like a bed with a sliding bench in the middle. You don't have to use a reformer or any other equipment to do Pilates. All you need is a mat and your own body resistance. And research has found that Pilates exercises are just as effective when you do them on the floor. Some Pilates workouts incorporate resistance bands or balls. Whether you use these accessories on your own is up to you, but they can they can help support your body while you're doing the movements and a little resistance will strengthen the muscles a little more also, but you can also if you ever check out DDP yoga, <laughs> which I should be getting paid for a sponsorship because I talk about the damn thing enough. But if you ever use DDP yoga, you're learning how to do resistance training without using any equipment. So you're using your body and your brain to make your body feel and understand like it's actually using weights and pulling on bands and stuff like that. So it's you don't need all that extra crap with it unless they unless you want it or and have it. Might as well use it if it's there. But much of Pilates is basically done on a mat on the floor. You can make it, if you can make it down to the floor, go for it. If you can't, you can also sit in a chair and just make the exercises, modify them to your advantage. Get them to where you're comfortable and do what you can to from those positions. And you can even do it from a vet things from a bed you just gotta modify it just think of it how it would work while you're in that position or at least do as much of the positions as you can while you're in that position much of the movements as you can pilates is generally safe for people of all fitness levels but it's a good idea to check in with your doctor before you add pilates to your workout Take a Pilates class or follow along with a video at home for the few, first few times to see how you like it and get used to it and decide if you want to go into a class. Uh, you can find free classes and videos on probably Amazon, YouTube, all that stuff. They have so many different things nowadays where you can do live workouts with people like on ddp yoga if you get the app <laughs> and you do live workouts with other people and sit there and hopefully that'll get you more motivated and get you to actually do it every day and that's a big help when you know that there's people that know that hey what happened to that person they've been missing for a few days we all know. <laughs> Gave up. Get your ass back out there. You did a little motivational screaming. But start slowly. You may only be able to do a few minutes of plies your first time. So once you're more comfortable with the moves, you can increase and intensify your workouts. Warm up for five to ten minutes before you exercise. It's good so you don't seize up any joints or anything or hurt something or pull in muscle. Your good stretches. You know, I just cool down for the same amount of time afterwards. I love the 
DDP cool down when you're laying on your back with one leg back, with one leg pulled back behind you and stuff like that, and different the side stretches and all that stuff. It just feels so good when you're pulling all all those muscles out in the end. But yeah, I always warm up before and after, warm up and warm down. Those muscles need it. It helps preserve them and a lot less pain the next day. Applies is good for strengthening your core and the muscles that support your joints. It can help improve stability, balance, and movement in people with MS. Yet Pilates is isn't a complete workout by itself. You also want to do at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity, low impact aerobic exercises like walking or bike riding each week. And these fuckers don't have MS. <laughs> Add in a few flexibility sessions too. Stretching eases stiff muscles and improves your range of motion. So, yeah, it's like for many of us with MS, just being able to do one Pilates move or one yoga move or one move period uh, can be an event. So don't be telling us to do an extra 150 minutes of moderate intensity workout. And say, hey, back off, Jack. <laughs> Let's build our bodies as we can, how we can, depending on what our ability is. But yeah. Keep the monster in check, and we will get back to you with some more goodies in the near future. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's look at some stupid, crazy things that people say to people with MS ask us or they tell us like why don't you just take a nap (laughs) fatigue is one of the most common symptoms of ms and it tends to get worse as the days go on for some constant battle that no amount of sleep can fix naps just mean going down tired and waking up tired making it a rougher day overall it may feel good to lay on that bed, but it doesn't do nothing. Do you need a doctor? Sometimes I slur my words while speaking, and sometimes my hands get tired and lose their grip. It's part of living with with MS. <laughs> I have a doctor. I see regularly about my MS. I have an unpredictable central nervous system disease. No, I don't need a doctor right now. I have a PCP. I have a neurologist. I have a urologist. I have a podiatrist. I have a cardiologist. I have a back and spinal specialist. I had so many doctors, I can't remember them all. How many doctors you got? Hmm? You ever see a doctor? You ever go in for your regular yearly checkups? Probably not. Oh, this is nothing. You can do it. (laughs) When I say I can't get up or I can't walk over there, I mean it. (laughs) No matter how seemingly small or easy you think it is, I know my body and what I can and can't do. I'm not being lazy. No amount of come on, just do it will help me. I have to put my health first and know my limits. You have no concept how much of my strength and ability I am allowed to exert at any given point that's going to take away from me doing something else later that day. And if you don't understand that, then shut your mouth. (laughs) Don't. Tell me nothing. <laughs> and, uh, you have no amount of information that's going to benefit me as far as anything knowledge-wise because I've spent more time studying this subject called my life. <laughs> 
probably way more than you studied any type of concept in your life. So it's like, don't worry, we got this. We know what we can and cannot do. Let us deal with it. All right. Have you tried <laughs> that, 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 basically insert whatever type of medical treatment? Have you tried this diet? Have you tried this pill? Have you tried this thing? And now it's just wonderful that multiple sclerosis things are popping up on commercials everywhere lately. <laughs> Uh, all these different medications and shits and how people start bringing that into effect too. Have you tried this type of medication? It's like anyone with a chronic disease can probably relate to getting unsolicited medical advice from everybody, but if they're not a doctor, they probably shouldn't be making treatment recommendations. Nothing can replace my expert recommended medications and my regular doctors and neurologists and stuff. They're and if you if you're gonna give me treatment ideas of something you've seen on a commercial or whatever, I want you to name three other treatments that are even related to it. And if you don't have that knowledge, then shut the hell up because you don't know the different comparisons and different types of treatments and what the side effects are and which things each person can handle and whether a person has EML, PIL, and different types of conditions. Uh, hepatitis and stuff that can cause other issues if you take certain treatments and stuff like that and yeah just there's doctors for a reason if you wanted to be a doctor you should have went to school for 15 years and earned it hey right, next one i have a friend <laughs> uh, i have a friend that has ms i have a friend that cured them i have a friend that used to have those issues I know you're trying to relate and understand what I'm going through, but hearing about everyone you know of who also has this terrible disease makes me sad. Besides, no matter my physical challenges, I'm still a regular person. So yeah, it's multiple sclerosis is different for everybody. So don't try and tell us what we're dealing with. Just gonna work out good in long run. Hey, can you take something? I'm already on a bunch of medications. <laughs> if taking aspirin could help my neuropathy, I would have already tried it. Even with my daily medications, I still have symptoms. It doesn't matter. I mean, you have no idea how many. I, mean, I can look over to my right, see all my pill bottles, and I fill my pill cases with weak. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I got seventeen standard medications I'm on, or uh, natural items, or vitamins, or whatever like like that that I'm on. Plus, I'm on a variety of pain ointments, CBD ointments. Uh, rubs, uh, oils, <laughs> I can go on and on and on, I mean, there's, I'm on enough stuff, so, enough of them counteract with each other, so that's not good either, so they're just canceling each other out, in the long run, unless you got a good pharmacy, it's just that, that knows enough to actually pay attention to what doctors are putting in your system without considering other things that you're taking, so. And that's a good thing to have is a pharmacist that cares. I mean, talk to your pharmacist. Don't just have someone that's just going to toss you that bag, take your money, and kick you out the door. Have someone that's going to actually say, hey, do you know that this and this can do this to you? And it's like, really? Thanks. <laughs> I wish my doctors would have known that. <laughs> Hey, they focus on their specialty. They don't know every specialty. Pharmacists, they know a lot of shit. They're not just a regular person out there. So take that into consideration. All right, another one. You're so strong. You'll get through this. 
Uh, I know I'm strong, but there's no current cure for MS. I'll be living with it my whole life. I won't. I won't get through this. So just I understand people often say this from a good place, but that doesn't stop me from being reminded that the cure is still unknown. There is no cure, and I gotta deal with my pains and issues every fucking day of my life. And I go to bed <laughs> worrying about what I'm going to have to deal with. I wake up worrying about what I'm going to have to deal with throughout the day. And every day is a challenge. And it sucks. And I wish things could take it away. And I wish you could pray it away. And I wish you could just have these magical miracles come. But it's not happening. I gotta add in there also, it's a the line of, are you drinking this early in the day? Are you already drunk, stumbling all over the place or whatever? And number one, people work all different shifts. But yeah, it could be a person that's been drinking. And who gives a shit? They're a third shifter. They want to get drunk and then go home and sleep throughout the whole day and then go to work. That's how their life works. Or whatever. But it's none of your business. If I'm not affecting you, don't fucking worry. If I'm stumbling and tipping and falling, it's because I got a neurological order and I can't control it. And my mind makes me go whatever direction it wants to go. I don't control any of it. So don't worry about how I look and how I'm moving and how I'm acting. Uh what do you need that device for? Why are you using that item? Referring to canes, walkers, wheelchairs. It's We don't like it. We don't want to have to. But it preserves our bodies so we can get a little more effort later in the day for other things if we need it. Um, it helps take some of the strain and pain from building up so quickly and then would you rather see instead of me walking with a cane just totally crunt curled over and gimping and grabbing everything that's near me just to help keep me from falling down i mean would that make you happier you really can't be judgmental of people's looks and abilities and the way they act and move and all that shit it's like just keep your mouth shut i can look at you and think of a hundred things <laughs> i don't care who you are think of a hundred issues that i think you might have but i don't say it to you so you don't need to say it to me so. basically just like symptoms of ms affect people differently so can these questions and comments your closest friends might sometimes say the wrong thing, even though they only have good intentions. If you're not sure what to say to a comment someone makes about your MS, just take a moment to think before you respond. Sometimes those few extra seconds can make all the difference in the world. It's like, I know I've, I've learned hugely to basically say things over in my head before I let them out my mouth as much as possible because I get frustrated. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you things the way they are to your face. That's the type of person I am. I'm straightforward <laughs> with everybody. I hate liars. I hate people that backstab you and all that shit. It's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be right in your face and tell you how it is. But I'll try to be good about it. <laughs> try to respect your ignorance when it comes to things you say also, as we all have our ignorance when we speak. But other than that, keep the monster in check, and we will get back to you in the near future with some more good whatever. <laughs> Time for another MS Health segment. All right, let's talk about multiple sclerosis and back pain. It can be a bitch. 
Multiple sclerosis MS is a chronic autoimmune disease that affects your central nervous system. A healthy individual's nerves are covered with a protective coating called myelin. MS destroys this myelin, leaving your nerve fibers exposed. The unprotected nerve fibers don't work as well as protected nerves. It can affect many areas and functions of your body, including movement, vision, cognitive functions, and a ton of other shit. Back pain is one of the many symptoms associated with MS. A variety of treatments may help alleviate your pain, but some of it can just become forever. I I got sciatica in the same lower right-hand spot of my back where it just, every now and then, it just starts to remind me that, hey, Make sure you do some extra flexing and shit, or you're going to be laid up for a while. Some severe pain. I think the worst, my worst attack, I spent three months. I could only lay at this weirdest, partially laid back, partially sitting up angle on a piece of shit, broken recliner. We had a nice recliner I could not use. We had a couch I could not use, regular chairs I could not use. I could not lay down in bed. But for three months, I had severe sciatica and to the point where you burst into tears just trying to stand up and trying to get to the freaking bathroom. <laughs> like, you don't want to eat or drink as much during that period. You don't have to get up. But you got it, and you got to try and find ways to angle your body enough to be able to go to the bathroom. Taking a shower or anything like that is just a nightmare. It's just. And the thing I love is I called my doctor back then, and that was when I had one of the dumbasses, the dumbass that ended up firing me later on. But uh, call him up, and he's like, well, I can't because I wanted to get on some type of pain medication so I at least, at least get a muscle relaxer so I get mobile enough to actually get out of that in a car and out of the house. He's like, I cannot I can't prescribe it unless you come into the office. You gotta get into the office. If you can't get into a car and get down here, then I can't give you your medication. It's like so if you're that fucking sore then it doesn't matter that you're not gonna get shit. And just he's not gonna do anything for you. You can make house calls, doctor. You can go to the hospital in the morning before you go to places. Why don't you stop at my house on your way in and just at least see what, I, what I, I'm dealing with. It's oh, uh, It pisses me off. <laughs> He's one person I'd love to get in a boxing ring. He's my age, so that'd be a nice equal. Nice fair fight. <laughs> Let's get some frustration out If you have MS, you may experience back pain for a number of reasons. For example, it may result from spasticity. I've had that type of back pain. Also, I get it on the left side or across the whole back and stuff. But that sciatic thing is completely different. It'll always be there, according to my back doctor, just waiting to rear its ugly head. This type of extreme tightness. That's common in people with MS, and we deal with, uh, it can go up higher too and cause the MS hug with our spasticity issues across the chest. Uh, Incorrectly using mobility aids can also put pressure on your back, which I noticed that lately too, I kind of changed up a couple of my canes. They just, uh, I noticed certain canes do, do cause me more issues with my back irritations. This can lead to poor posture and pain. Your back may also become sore if you struggle with balance or mobility or walk in an unnatural pattern. Sometimes your back hurts for reasons that aren't related to MS, unrelated muscle strain, or a herniated disc disc can result in pain. If you have MS, you won't be able to compensate for this back pain as well as others might. Uh, to treat MS-related back pain, your doctor may re- recommend 
one or more of the following treatments like medication, exercise, physical therapy. Usually physical therapy is one of the first things they'll send us off, send me off to. Occupational therapist, water therapy, and alternative alternative treatments. Uh, acupuncture and acupressure and all that stuff's nice for it. Your doctor will likely try to determine the root cause of your back pain before recommending specific medications. Uh, there's things like bacopin and tizanidine. Uh, exercise may also help relieve depression, boost your energy levels, and combat, combat MS-related fatigue along with helping your back loosen up and get it stretched out, get those muscles motivated, that blood flowing, physical and occupational therapy. A uh, physical therapist can teach you exercises to help relieve some of your MS-related symptoms. May, and they may help you teach, or may help teach you how to stretch your tight muscles to alleviate your back pain, things you can do to prevent it in the future. Uh, they may also recommend gait training to help you learn how to walk better. An occupational therapist can teach you how to adapt to your home or to the lifestyle to meet your changing needs. They can teach you how to integrate adaptive aids into your daily habits and environments as well as how to use them correctly. Uh, water therapy is a great way for to keep your body flexible and moving and not stiffen up as much as normal. The warmth and buoyancy of the water can soothe and support the joints that are stiff and weak. Give your muscles a chance to relax. Water aerobics may also be a good choice as it offers the best of both worlds, a cocoon of warm water and a gentle form of exercise that can help promote balance and coordination. So if you got access to that, it's always a plus. It's complementary treatments like acupuncture, massage therapy, and other things that you can try. Uh, basically, if you have MS pain, well, if you have MS, pain is <laughs> a symptom that you'll likely deal with throughout your life. Uh, lean on your medical team, your friends, and family when your back pain is at its worst. Being active and keeping a positive attitude may help you through the challenges you encounter. Ask your doctor for more information on specific conditions, treatment options, and long-term outlooks. See what he can help you out with, or she. Yeah, check that out. Keep the monster in check, and we'll get back to you as more in the future. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's check out brain fog, cog fog, whatever you want to call it. Brain fog isn't a medical term, but it's something many people with chronic illnesses know well. Chemo brain, fibro, fibro fog, cog fog. They're just some of the many terms used to talk about brain fog. In more technical terms, brain fog can mean a lack of mental clarity, poor concentration, and more. It's difficult to explain what brain fog is, especially in the middle of an episode. Even when the people around us know about cognitive, our cognitive difficulties, there isn't always an easy way to let them know what's happening, that that's the issue you're having. Having a code word is out of the question when you can't remember simple things. <laughs> uh, a lot of times I'll look at the wife and I'll just have this look towards her. like It's like, I want to say what I want to say, but I can't think of what to say to get her to say what will help me say what I want to say. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's really weird. It's hard to explain. It's just 
you just blank on the things that you don't want to blank on at the moments you just should not blank on them. And it's very hard to recover from them. But yeah, basically, when you're dealing with your fog, you can try explanations like I'm having a cog fog day to brain not working or whatever. And it's just, it's just more shit you got to remember to try and explain when you're trying to explain stuff. So the levels, the superiority of the fog can change rapidly from one minute to the next. Some days you can be incredibly eloquent. Other days you can barely form a full sentence or a few words. Not all brain fog moments are created equal. <laughs> it can be all over the place. Uh, it can feel like you're trapped in quicksand, slowly turning to stone or wading through jello. The world moves around you at a pace that you just can't keep up with. It's hard to grasp and understand concepts, too. There's so many times you're talking about shit and you never get it all out. And you remember later on, and it's like, damn it, I was trying to get to this point and I never did or something like that. You're just in the, at a moment, just a normal standard moment, stuff you'd always talk about. And all of a sudden, you just can't talk. And it just makes no freaking sense. Uh, brain fog is all about forgetfulness, forgetting words, appointments, things on your to-do list, or why you walked into the kitchen, or you can have a frickin' piece of paper right in front of your face with a list of things you want to say, and your brain can't comprehend them or say them. Uh, I have that so often. And I'll go to doctor's appointments with a list of questions, and I'll sit there with it in front of my face, and I don't even get them out. I just don't. It's so weird. Fighting this takes a lot of effort and a lot of redundant systems. For example, I have uh, things like calendars around the house, planners, uh, notepads. I got them all over. Post-it notes. I constantly throw away pieces of paper as I downsize and compressed stuff and then I go through and it's like oh shit I forgot to do that that and that it's like, I'm glad I remember the time I found something I was looking for or having a dream I lost a dream that I could remember okay it would be nice to remember to pick up <laughs> I mean, simple thing it's like you <laughs> Nice you remember certain things, but it really sucks that you can't remember things that you need to do and stuff like that. Just things just the wrong things are staying in our brain when we don't need them to. That sucks. But it's like you can have prescriptions that you gotta pick up, get home, and that's the only thing you went for, or one of the two things you went to town to do, and you're like, ah oh, shit. <laughs> get back in the car, go. And I've gotten back in the car, <laughs> went and forgot again. I, uh, uh, yeah, I've forgotten my name. I've forgotten how to spell my name. I've forgotten uh, my wife's name. I, <laughs> uh, it's just, it, it's things that make absolute no sense and people pick on you for. <laughs> You're always second guessing things. And if you don't live with brain fog, imagine that point where you're almost asleep but wondering if you turned off the oven or locked the front door now imagine that's your all day every day state of mind it's not awesome <laughs> uh, you're constantly questioning things like did i take my medications did i shower did i turn this off or uh, it's just all day long What's that word again? I can't think of that word that I'm trying to say. It's like forgetting simple words or choosing wrong words. I can have the most beautiful thing in my mind, and as soon as it comes out of my mouth, it's like blah, 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 blah. Huh? What? <laughs> Are you drunk? I mean, 
people don't understand brain fog that well. So they're like, are you all fucked up on something? You drinking? You high? You all wasted on some shit? And yeah, it's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to know that you're capable of accomplishing so much only to have the cog fog just take it away. It's like, <laughs> I just can't explain the amount of things I would have been able to do even the past 10 years of my life if what was in my head would have got done or out or I would have been capable of working on certain things, I would have so much more. I'd be way further ahead in life at this moment and would have been way more enjoyable. Instead, I just wish, (laughs) hope. It's a vicious cycle of frustration. Dealing with fog is incredibly frustrating. Getting flustered just seems to exasperate the symptoms though so it becomes even more difficult to express yourself if you get frustrated over it so it doesn't pay to do that either interruptions derail our thoughts constantly people may mean well when they interrupt a story to fill in a gap or ask a question but this often means we lose our place or we lost everything everything's gone now that we're going to say we just cannot bring it back not recover it it just it's gone for good our train of thought has derailed and there were no survivors (laughs) everyone wants to offer their advice people tend to want to fix things instead of listening and empathizing with the person's struggle or offering support they give advice it's nice to want to help but brain fog is something still being researched and figured out and herbs and yoga just don't fix this shit so regardless unsolicited medical advice can be condescending and hurtful so just keep your advice to yourself and just give us a chance to get to where we're trying to get to and you're in no hurry you're not going nowhere if you are get the hell out but if you're listening to us talk just let us finish our what we're saying and it's hard for me i live in a family where most of the people just, I swear, they got little birds circling around their head as you're talking to them because they are not paying attention to a word you're saying. So all that frustrating effort you're putting in to try and get something out right isn't going anywhere anyways. So it's like, why bother? That's the reason I started a podcast so I could speak for myself. And if anybody wants to listen, hey, it's a plus. It's awesome. Thanks. But this is basically for me to keep my brain from completely giving up. Brain fog is incredibly trying. One of the most important things to do when you remember is to take care of yourself. It might just help with the brain fog or at the very least with how you cope. Living with brain fog is a unique challenge. It comes hand in hand with many chronic illnesses but isn't always so apparent to those around you. In itself, it can make it harder to live with and explain, but often brain fog is simply misunderstood. With communication and empathy, you can help debunk the myths surrounding brain fog and help shine a light on its everyday implications. Do what you can, and hopefully you can get through the day and get things out of your mouth that you wanna the right way. So keep that monster in check. Tell him to shut up and let you speak for yourself. Have a great day, and I'll get back to you with some more stuff soon. Time for another MS health segment. Let's talk about some of the better foods and drinks to have before bedtime if you must have something to eat or drink. Almonds. 
are a source of melatonin and a sleep-enhancing mineral, magnesium, two properties that may make them a great food to eat before bed, which I don't know if I knew that before that almonds had melatonin in them. But I usually, when I do have some trail mix or some almonds or something like that, it's usually late, later in the day. Uh, jerky may be a great food to eat before bed due to its high amounts of protein and tryptophan, both of which may induce tiredness. I know protein induced tiredness, but I guess fullness will usually promote it, maybe. Chamomile tea contains antioxidants that may promote sleepiness, and drinking it has been shown to improve overall sleep quality. It's always a nice thing at night. Have chamomile tea with a little CBD uh, oil in there, and go to bed feeling nice and loose and comfortable, get a good night's sleep. Uh, Kiwis are rich in serotonin and antioxidants, both of which may improve sleep quality when eaten before bed. That's interesting. Didn't know that. Tart cherry juice, which I used to drink, but I can't decide whether it's it looks like it's high in sugar, but I don't know. I keep hearing it's health health benefits. I do miss having it. I didn't drink a lot of it. It was just like a, maybe about four or six ounces a night. But it tart cherry juice contains the sleep-promoting hormone melatonin and may help induce a good night's sleep. You know, a lot of this stuff I took during the day, earlier in the day, and now I'm realizing that that probably wasn't good for my fatigue but uh oh actually no i'd have tart cherry juice is usually a dinner time thing i'd have after dinner or something a glass fatty fish are a great source of vitamin d and omega-3 fatty acids both of which have properties that may improve the quality of your sleep walnuts have a few properties that may promote better sleep for instance, they're a great source of melatonin and healthy fats. So make yourself a little trail mix, some walnuts, some almonds. Uh, Passion flower tea contains apigenin and has the ability to increase gamma aminobutrisate acid, GABA production. I've seen GABA stuff written down, but didn't know what any of that stuff is. I have no idea about passion flower tea. I've never heard of that either, either, but this may influence sleep. And white rice may be beneficial to eat before bed due to its high glycemic index. A high glyce- high GI may promote better better sleep. Then things like dairy products such as a glass of milk, cottage cheese, plain yogurt are known sources of tryptophan. Milk has been shown to improve sleep in older adults, especially when paired with light exercise. Remember here and back in the days, a, a small glass of warm milk before bed was always a good thing for sleep. Uh, banana peels contain tryptophan. And the fruit itself is a modest source of magnesium. Both of these properties can help you get a good night's sleep. Uh, I don't want to eat the banana peels, but I'll eat the banana. Uh, Oatmeal, similar to rice, oatmeal is high in carbs with a bit more fiber and has been reported to induce drowsiness when consumed before bed. Additionally, oats are a known source of melatonin, and that's a thing that most people have oatmeal in the morning. I always, I make my homemade oats and I'll just have a cup of it at night for a late night snack. Sometimes I'll just take the good oats and uh, the gold, I can't, Red Gold, I believe, is the company that I like to buy the oats from. And yeah, mix those 50% oat, 
50% almond milk. I use, uh, sometimes use dark chocolate almond milk or vanilla or just plain unsweetened. Then I'll add cinnamon, uh, maple syrup, uh, different types. Uh, sometimes I'll put raisins in it. Sometimes I'll put cranberries in it. Because uh, I eat this without cheese, so it's like something that I can break down easily. I have a mushroom powder that's ground up mushrooms I'll put in. I'll put flax seeds in it. You could put chia seeds. I don't. I prefer my chia seeds in my hot drink. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of different things you can just add whatever you like into it and make it. And that's a nice little half a cup, a half cup or a cup of oats late at night, and good nighttime snack. And obviously, it'll help sleep. So, getting enough sleep is very important for your health. Several foods and drinks may help. This is because they contain sleep-regulating hormones and brain chemicals such as melatonin and serotonin. And there's tons of different melatonin pills, cough drops, all that kind of things you can take too. Uh, some foods and drinks contain high amounts of specific antioxidants and nutrients such as magnesium and melatonin that are known to enhance sleep by helping you fall asleep faster or stay asleep longer. To reap the benefits of sleep-enhancing foods and drinks, it may be best to consume them two to three hours before bed. Eating immediately before going to sleep may cause digestive issues, such as acid reflux. Basically, more research is needed, but these are some suggestions. You can always try out. So keep the monster in check, and we will get back to you with some more information sometime soon.